what were some of the abuses that you experienced or that you saw your siblings experience? I know you said that you really wanted to share that so that people could hear what's happening in these situations and what's happening in the FLDS. Do you want to share some of that, of your story and what you saw? Yeah, so my little six-year-old brother, they, they told him, I want you to do the dish job right after he got done eating. And he's like, I don't want to. It's kind of like that. And my aunt's daughter from a different mother, she was kind of her abusive ally, I would say. And she picked up my little brother, like as high as she could hold him, and then just bashed him down onto the ground on his head. So just whacked his head really hard. And, and he went clear limp. I thought he was dead. Like, he, he was floppy for a minute. And... He, when he finally opened his eyes, he was just white, white. And and that scared me. And I was like, dude, I'm going to call the caretaker. And she's like, she grabbed the broom and she started chasing me. I started running because I knew I was going to get whipped. And she's like, don't you dare. I'll hurt you if you tell. I did end up telling my sister, which she did report it to the caretaker. And every time we reported something like this, then he would say, okay, I'll, I'll talk to him. I'll, I'll tell him not to do that which he obviously never did, or they didn't listen. Either way, eventually he supported the, supported the, the abuse. So another thing to that same six-year-old little brother is uh, my aunt. There was like a, a door, and then it was just straight stairs down. Like The house was kind of built on a hill, so the stairs were about a story and then like a half a story tall. And there was, so it was just no porch, just a drop off. And it was snowy and icy. And my six-year-old brother wasn't sitting still during class. So my aunt grabbed him up by his hair and his ear and took him over to that back door and just with full force kicked him with one leg down those stairs. Oh my gosh. And when he was hurt and was like, my arm hurts. And she's like, nope, you can't go to the hospital because we don't have any reason to tell what happened. And. So he never went to the hospital. And then another thing is my two younger brothers were on top of the chicken coop and they told my brother just older than him, which he was only 11, to go up there and make them get down. Go and bring them down because they wouldn't listen. So he went up there and he's like, come on, get down. And they started running because they're little kids. They're like, you know, this is funny. So he started chasing them and his shoes were so worn out that the bottom of the uh, the sole was like flapping down and the top of the chicken coop had wire on it and he, he was running by the edge and the uh, sole got caught and he flipped off and he landed on his arm. And then he came in the house and he was like white. He was like about to pass out. And you could see his bone poking out of his arm. Like he was in so much pain he could, he could barely even function to walk. And, um, oh my, gosh. my sister's like, I'm calling the ambulance, and and the mom comes running in there. No, we're not. We're not calling the ambulance. We gotta call the caretaker. And she called the uh, the aunt called the caretaker, and is like, Yeah, he's not hurt very bad. And he's like, All right, I'll come over there. So he comes over there, and he looks, and my brother's like, pretty much about to pass out in pain, and he's like, Oh, you'll be fine. We'll just put a wrap on it, and and we can. You can go about sweeping the floor, you know, doing the dishes, doing what you're told. So my older sister uh, stole the phone from my aunt and went and called 911. And the ambulance came and took him down and his arm was broken, both bones in half. Which, they did surgery, they had to put pins in it. So, it's a dang good thing she just called 911. Even though she took a lot of consequence for rebelling against a mother and a caretaker. And in all that, it was it was worth it for my brother to her, even though she had to get abused after that. Well, thank goodness that your sister did that, you know? I mean, the fact that the caretaker, which is direct, I guess, instruction from the church, like in charge of the family through the church, was going to let your brother just deal with it and do nothing about it, and come to find out later that it was broken in two places, you said? Through both bones. Oh, it was broken through both, oh my goodness. Both bones clear in half, and wow. without the 
the pins in his arm, then his arm would never be functional. So. Wow. You know, this, this goes way beyond just the, the abuse that was being caused by the immediate aunt and those that were there in the home. It sounds like even when reported to higher authority within the church, they still did nothing. Correct. And also, not to mention the physical abuse, it goes along with mental abuse. Um, the mental abuse I felt and witnessed is basically like getting your whole body ran over, but mentally. Like, I was told that I was ugly, I was a piece of shit, I was the reason my parents were sent away, I was, you know, I, I had no confidence whatsoever at all. Like, someone would look at me and I'd just couldn't even turn my head. Wow. I mean, and I imagine that you're still having a difficult time with some of the things you were told, even these years later. Correct. I, I have a lot of triggers and stuff come up that I got to deal with. So my sister, my oldest sister was kind of getting tired of the abuse because she reported it to my caretaker or our caretaker and, and the mothers and they didn't give a crap so she's like well I'm in a video to get proof to the caretaker because seemed like he didn't really believe and that was because the mother would go and talk sweet they were pretty much like this you know so it didn't really do any good to to tell him because then she just got in trouble anyway she got a few videos of the aunt abusing her very own kids Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Like, spanking them and hitting them on the head and pulling their hair, just like constantly just on their head, pulling their hair, grabbing them by the ear, whipping them with the broom. So she got it downloaded onto this little SIM card and the caretaker's like, I want you to delete everything off your phone, everything off the computer and send me the SIM card and I'll deal with it. And she decided, nah, I'm going to keep it on the computer and the hard drive because I can show it to the my other aunt that that's coming to visit us in not very long. And so she sent that to the caretaker and then my cousin, which was my aunt's ally in abuse pretty much, she was determined to not let her keep those videos because she had found out that they were still on the hard drive in the computer. And so she went down there and was trying to get the stuff, get the computer and hard drive from my sister and she was trying to keep it locked up she jumped on top of her and just started pounding her head really hard. My sister was like curled clear over just trying to keep the computer and hard drive. And she just bit her head like a like a lion or something. Just a big old chunk out of her head. And and then just kept beating her multiple times. Whoa. So she uh, grabbed the computer and the hard drive and shoved them under the door of the locked closet and my other sister was in there but the whole time Rachel was beating on her then the mother was standing there saying Arana get off Arana's my older sister the one getting beat telling her to get off of Rachel and quit hurting her when oh Rachel was the one abusing her tearing her apart and they did end up Rachel did end up getting the hard drive and the computer and she went out and she buried it but we didn't know what she did with it but later I was walking by and, and there was a foxhole that I would always watch a mama and its babies. And it was buried up and I'm like, what? And so I, I dug a little bit and I found the little strap to the computer. And it happened to be during the time when they left the crib. Because after the abuse they would most of the time leave and then come back. So I got the computer and gave it to my sister and she was able to ditch it. But uh, Rachel had deleted everything off of that. Wow, so even though you found it, there's still no proof on that hard drive well, left. Somebody was saying that, so we still have the phone that took the videos, that there's a way to get 
anything off of a phone that videoed, even though it's deleted, but it takes a lot of high tech. Um, and they, they claim they could do the same with the hard drive, which the hard drive is actually has been turned into the police for six years and they have done nothing. Really? Six years? The phone is turned into the police as well. And every time we mention it, they claim that they're getting to it or they say, oh, we have worse cases. But yet we can't request it back for some reason, even though it's ours. Oh my goodness. So you can't take it and try to go about prosecuting them in any other way because you don't have it because the police have it. And every time we say something, then they do, they just are like, well, we can't give back evidence that has been given to the police, but yet they do nothing to plead our case at all. And do you think that this type of abuse is happening today within some of these families? Yes, I do. And... The kids will probably not show it to you because they're so driven by fear that they just got to fake a smile and keep sweet, you know, and, and they got to make sure anybody outside of the FLDS can't tell how they're really feeling or even anybody inside because, you know, it, it's just going to get worse if they let anybody know how they feel and everybody outside of the church is all evil to them. Wow. So I have to ask because, I mean, this is just... So beyond awful and horrible, I, I don't even really know where to go from here as far as questions. But do you, to your knowledge, do you know of other families that are dealing with this? You know, that uh, the caretakers and that the, the people in charge of them are also causing abuse in other families beyond just the family you experienced it through? Yes. Um, my aunt, I believe, is still abusing her own kids. I don't see any reason why she would quit abusing them because she abused them the whole time I knew her. And those kids were six and seven, which are now, you know, nine and 10, 11, 12, you know, that's, that's all they're going to know their whole life. Um, my cousin, which is her oldest son has left and he thought that that was just normal to get beat up because his mom abused him all the time. And, He's, it's been like quite a few years since he left and he's finally starting to realize that, you know, abuse isn't love, you know. Right. He thought that that meant his mom loved him because she hit him. Jeez. Well, moving from physical abuse, can you tell us a little bit about the labor trafficking that you experienced and what that was like from a young age being forced to work and make money for the organization that was basically harboring your other abuses. We were told that if we didn't go work for the storehouse, then they wouldn't give us food. And we were supposed to get our food card and buy, spend the whole thing and then send everything into the storehouse that we got and buy it all in bulk. And then if we worked hard enough, we would get like cheese and milk and stuff. We couldn't get any sugar. We couldn't have anything but whole wheat. So we would go and work for the storehouse and I remember spending like from clear it was dark early in the morning probably 4 30 and I would wake up and I'd have to go to class for about an hour which was just a bunch of warns uh tapes and whatever the caretaker wanted to say and and then I would go to what they would call the processing plant and I would have to sit there and cut up peaches and bottle them and and just work all day, and I remember it being so hot, and they, they're like, just keep sweet. I remember sweating, they're like, there was no fans or anything, and they're like, we got to do the prophet's will, we got to earn our food, you know, and, and I, after months of bottling peaches and peaches, day after day, like, pretty much Monday through Friday, so most of the time Saturdays, too, I didn't see one of those bottles of peaches that I bottled ever. And we still weren't eating very good. And they're like, oh, you got to work harder. My younger brother that was like five, they had him come and work too. And he was up there putting the little balls of dough in the hot press. That's It's like timed and, and they're, he couldn't even reach the red button because he's up on this stool, you know. So if he, if he was just barely slow, too slow, that thing would have just crushed his arm and burned up. 
So he just sitting there putting balls of dough in all day or running the big machine that um, makes the dough go into balls. It's like kind of shakes around, but you could get your arm caught in it. And he was helping run the mixer. And we were also cutting bread. And he would be putting the loaves of bread right up against the knives that we're cutting up. And that was going to be my next question was at what age did they start working? So at five years old. Heavy machinery. How long did you guys work? Like, if you went to the storehouse to work for the day, how many hours was that at five years old and as a young teenager? I'd say we'd usually start 7 or 6 a.m. and we'd be done around 8 or 9 p.m. So all day. And uh, Saturdays were when you're supposed to work extra hard for mm-hmm. the storehouse. So we didn't get to take breaks for lunch, and we couldn't eat the food that we were making, even if it was, like, stuff that they were throwing away because it's bad. they just throw We just had to throw it away, or they'd throw it away right in front of us. So they weren't giving you breaks to be able to eat and eat? No, we're supposed to eat breakfast before we get there, and then dinner when we go home and go right to bed. Did they say why you weren't supposed to have... Uh lunch or snacks i mean was there a reason behind it or did they just do it to punish you i i don't know the exact reason my understanding was they said all the food had to be concentrated which was like going into this black room and they would bless the food with the lord and all this and then send it to the storehouse so basically it had to go anything you ate had to go through the storehouse which they didn't provide us with snacks so how were we supposed to have snacks to bring anyways so wow. that's why you couldn't eat anything off of it because I had it been prayed over first and yes. consecrated first. So were you, I can imagine that you would have been terrified then to take some food from a stranger or from a neighbor or something because you would know that that food hadn't been consecrated yet. Yes and no, because by the time I moved up to Colorado and started to get uh, to know my neighbors then, that had kind of faded away to a degree because by then we were buying everything off the food card and they told us, because you're clear in Colorado, we can't send food clear up there. We don't, we're trying to get a storehouse in Colorado and the Lord will forgive you or whatever and just buy your food for now. So, so it's only convenient when they don't want to give you lunch while you're working your butt off. Then it needs to be prayed over. But if you happen to be in an inconvenient spot, then it doesn't need to be prayed over. Yeah, which is kind of confusing now that I really think of it. But the the amount of stress I was under, I I didn't really have time to stop and think about that part. It was just, I was in survival mode and all that mattered was trying to protect my siblings from getting hurt and getting food when I could, so. Well, and you were a child. That's an important thing to remember as people are sharing their stories is... Now you're sitting here years later and people are seeing you say it, but you were a child. You were a young teenager when all of this is happening. So you have to take a second to look back and think, okay, these were a five-year-old doing these machines. This is a 14-year-old working in a factory for 12 hours a day. It's not even seeing the young adult that you are now. It's a whole different mentality to take a second and and remember that. Yeah, Yeah, thinking of it now, it's like... Sometimes I wonder, you know, how did I even live that way? And I'm like, I don't, sometimes I'm like, I don't even want to accept that I was that person, but I just have to because I had no choice but to be that person because I was born in it. And, and if I didn't, then it was death pretty much. Yeah, you had to be resilient, right? Just to survive. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about as far as, the labor or anything before we kind of go into more of um, you rebelling a little bit more. There was a bunch of tomato fields um, when we lived in Colorado City right before we moved to Colorado. And we would have to go and pick the tomatoes all day from 6 a.m. till 8 p.m. No lunch, just pick the tomatoes. We can't eat them. And they're all storehouse food. And we, we couldn't drink water unless we picked like a five-gallon bucket within 30 minutes, then that's how we earned water. So we got to, like, hurry really hard, and it's hotter than hell outside because it's summer. And my little tiny brothers, five-year-old, and clear up. So there was four of them, a five-year-old, and then a seven-year-old, and an eight-year-old, and a ten-year-old. All, all working, plus not to mention 
little babies, like barely could even walk, and they're making them go pick the tomatoes off and put them in the buckets and wow. having the kids haul five-gallon buckets to the car. And then uh, sometimes I'd sneak and eat the tomato, and if they ever caught me, then they would sit there and stand over me and make me work really hard, and I would get spanked if, they, if I didn't work harder. I lived in St. George, outside of Short Creek area, and I'm remembering a time where there was, like, the government came in, and there was a big deal about the child labor that was happening in Hurricane. And, was like, the, the pecan fields, trees or something. Pecan trees or something. Were you guys familiar with that? Or did that ever happen to you where, like, the government was coming and, like, checking to see if there was child labor? Because I remember that was a thing in our community of, like, our law enforcement was going out and being like, there's... These kids working in fields when they should be in school and, like, people in my community were, like, outraged at what was going on. And we pretty much were told, like, this is their kids so they can have them work if they want to. And they can say that it's part of a homeschooling curriculum to learn how to work hard. And so it's kind of hard for the um, government and the law enforcement to really enforce anything to get involved because if they were just teaching their children how to work hard... Do you ever remember any law enforcement ever coming in, like, checking to see? Or it might have been a whole different time. I was just curious. Yes. So I worked there quite a few times. And when they would see, they would hear people coming or whatever, or even see them, then they had a place that we could lock up and they would put all the kids in there and and say, oh, we're locked up for the day, or, or make up these big excuses why they couldn't look in the building. Or sometimes we'd have to get in our cars and leave real quick because they knew that they were coming and they were on their way. So so they just got really good at hiding us from the law. Oh, my gosh. So they're locking children away in buildings to hide the child. To hide from the law. So they had a, a little foghorn that they'd blow, and that meant everybody hide or everybody get in their car and leave in this much time, and they'd have a speaker, a big, huge thing, like one of those big speakers that are loud that tell you where, what to do. And we'd have to do these drills, and they'd say, okay, we're doing a drill. Then they would uh, get us good at hiding really fast. One of the times in the nut field, they thought somebody was coming, and we didn't have time to run to the building. Then they blew the horn, and they made us all hide behind a tree. And they're like, wherever the vehicle goes, just go on the other side of the tree so you're, you stay behind the tree the whole time. Oh, my gosh. And, and then it ended up not being the law that time. Which I wish it would have been. I wish they would have caught us so, now. But I was going to point out, you wish now that it would have been the law. But back in those days, as a child, you were probably terrified of the law, right? Like, at that point, at least based on the way that I was raised in the community, not necessarily by my family, but by the church leaders, we were told to be terrified of the law. Were you afraid that if the law did catch you, that something worse would happen to you at that, at that young age? Or what was that like for you? Yes, I was very afraid of the law. Um, I thought that they were going to take me away from my parents and go and what they called CPS, come put me in a different home and all this stuff. And I wouldn't get to live eternal life because I would be living with the Gentiles and the Gentiles are of the devil. And basically Gentiles were anybody outside the church. Yeah, so that's that's what I wanted to point out. And, and you say that I think the key thing there is eternal life because you were already taken away from your family and you were already being forced to do all these different things or at that point were you still with your family the nut field i was still with my family but in working in the tomato field uh just my siblings that was when my parents were sent i see i see okay eternal life to them was um eternal life after death so after you become so good and so faithful to God or whatever, then when you die, then you'll get to live for eternity. But if you sin too much, then you're going to go to hell, and then you, you're going to die in hell, a miserable death, and then you're just going to, everything's going to be black for the rest of your life, and there'll be, you can't do anything. It's like just living in space with no stars. Wow. So basically eternal death or eternal life, so to speak. Interesting. So they told you that you would live on, but you would be in eternal darkness and have no power to do anything but just sit there and float into nothingness for eternity. Yeah. Wow, that's a that's an terrifying. image. That's a terrifying Especially image. Especially as a child. Can you imagine? Like No. I mean, yes, I was kind of full of the same thing, but 
But I can't imagine a child thinking that way now. It's just, yeah. just so hard to imagine. Eternal life was everything in heaven was dressed in white and all these pretty trees and you didn't have to eat when all the time and you could just eat fruit whenever you wanted and all they have is fruit up there and, and basically it's like paradise, so to speak. Interesting. I love how paradise is unlimited fruit because you guys weren't allowed to eat anything sweet. <laughs> like paradise for me would be like a continuous chocolate fountain. Yeah, but for you guys, you were like, we could just have fruit. Man, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, just the good stuff, right? <laughs> the thing is, is fruit was the only sweet we could eat. And Sunday became the day, the fast day, and we could only eat fruit if we had to. So we were, we were supposed to fast with Warren because... That was supposed to make the faith stronger so he could be delivered. I have to ask now, now that you've grown up a little bit and have been out of it for a while, do you think Warren was actually fasting on Sunday? No, I don't think so. Okay. I'm just, I was just curious because you were told a lot of things. You were told a lot of things, that, and I was told as well, that Warren would break out of prison and that he was doing this and he was, he was doing that and he was this amazing, perfect person. But... There are so many things that I wish I knew then what I know now. Let's just say that. Yeah, me too. What were you told about Warren breaking out of prison? Because he was, he was put in prison probably when you were pretty young, right? So what were you told about your obedience and if he was going to be released or any preparations for him? Yeah, so uh, basically any time we are being disobedient, that was used, oh, you're now Warren's going to have to stay in there for another day because you disobeyed or you got to pray harder. you got to uh, make up for it and, and have more faith. And One day he's just going to walk through the wall and be delivered because all these people are going to have so much faith. So once again, all blame was put on you. That even, even Warren being in prison was the member's fault. He's only not out because... You're not faithful enough. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So it's it, it just, it, it's crazy how they were able to take every little detail of it and blame it on the members or the followers of, of Warren. Yes. Thank goodness. Even children. That's the part that, like, blows my mind a little bit because it's to blame the children for it, you know, and not just, okay, these adult followers who hopefully have even... I can't even say that the adult followers have informed consent at all because a lot of them are just raising it. They don't know any better either, right? But still, to put so much of this on the children and then the parents were taught to also put it on their children, right? That if they didn't have perfect children, then they're responsible for that as well. And the kids are feeling like so much pressure just on everybody all the time for perfection. And not even like perfection in... Normal is probably the wrong word to use here, but not even perfection, what most people would consider perfection. Like you're talking about sins that every other person that's not within this community is not even going to think of as a sin. Do you know what I mean? So the amount of perfection and the things that they call the sin weren't even in a normal realm of of debate. Right, right. So it's just, it's hard for the outside world to comprehend why people would stick to it, would, even through everything, the abuse, the, the mental and physical, they would stick it out. So why do, you, why do you think you were able to continue on and even through everything, just stick with it, at least for a long time? Eventually you had enough, but for most of the time or for many, many years you dealt with it. Well, look at it this way. Say, if if I was a bear, was born in a zoo, a little tiny cage, and I grew up getting hit sometimes, sometimes I didn't get fed, and that was all I knew, why would I want anything else? If I didn't know that the forest existed and all that freedom and, and plenty of food and friends and all that, and I, I was just a lonely bear that had to work or, or get beat or whatever, and that, and I thought that that was just the way of life. And how would I even know what to want? You know, that makes perfect sense to me. And great analogy. 
Yeah, great analogy. So this leads right up to finally there came an end. And how did that come about and why did that come about? We lived in Colorado and basically my sister was being kind of rebellious and finally then she convinced them to let her and my siblings moved down to Minersville, Utah, and um, they stayed up there for about a month, and they were buying a house in Richfield, and she still had control over us, the aunt, especially since we thought that uh, we were legally signed over to her, and our caretaker would always come and check on us in Minersville and stuff, and, and so would the mother over us, and every time she came, we were always like, wanted to hide from her. She wanted to come and grab one of us individually and go take us and put us in a different home and separate us. But my older sister was always like, every time she came around, she always had her eye on us. Or even like if we just went out of the house without telling her where we were going, she would get upset because she was afraid that Lola would steal us or something. And so it got really tense. And around the time me being a teenager, I was like, about that time, I still believed in Warren, but just everything I'd been through and the amount of stress, I was like, this is bull. I want my mom and dad, and I want to see them. So the only way to do that was still being good in my eyes and not losing eternal life was to be sent away and, and get to repent. So I thought, well, I want to get a boyfriend because that'll for sure get me sent away <laughs> or, you know, so I basically I started rolling up my sleeves and wearing my hat backwards and trying to do everything to get sent away, but yeah, at the same time, still be good enough that I wouldn't get kicked out. And one time then they found out about my boyfriend, so I said, screw it, and got my little brothers and went and jumped in the river and we took our clothes off and, and then the mother over us found out and so she got really mad and she told my older sister that I'm going to uh, separate each kid, and and they can't ever see each other and all this stuff. And so she's like, oh, hell no, and she was so stressed out. And um, a couple months before that, I had been talking to what they would call apostates, which is people who left the church. And they were my cousins that I had known that were in the church. I knew them as a kid. And I found them because I had that phone that I bought clear in Colorado, and I figured out how to use Facebook and stuff, and I found them on Facebook, and they gave me their number. Anyways, one of my cousins that had lived with my mom when she got sent away, she had had my parents' numbers, and she gave had already given them to me, but I was too afraid to call them because I didn't know if my parents would reject me, thinking that if they talked to me, because we were told if we had any contact with them, that would start over the whole repentance. And it had been, what, like two years of not seeing them? So, so that fear was like, I don't quite dare call them. And finally, when my sister had a breakdown because um, they were trying to separate us that day when we went swimming, then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to tell her I have their numbers. Just take that risk because worst case, she'll just send me away. She was kind of upset at first, like, why do you have their numbers? And then she's like, hey, that's a good idea. I was like, just send me away. So she called mom first, and she never answered. And so she called dad, and she's like, please don't hang up, because she was afraid he'd hang up. She's like, I just need you to listen to me, even for a minute. And, and being my dad, he's like, what do you need, you know? And listen to her, and she uh, asked them to come and get us. So our parents met us kids in Colorado, Denver, Colorado, and picked us up. And so I got to talk on the phone to my mom before we drove up there. And I had had a dog that my cousin gave me. Well, it was a puppy at the time. And, and that was like pretty much my only friend besides my siblings. And um, I was like, I have a dog and I'm bringing it. And she's like, no, you're not. We're not supposed to have dogs. Dogs are wicked. Mm. And, and I just, I hung up. I'm like, screw this. And so I put the dog in with me and brought it stuff. And um, when we got up there, she's, she's like, it's, it's so cute. No, we have to leave it. Send it back. What's your sister? I was like, nope, I'm, you're sending me back then. I would way rather go live with those other people than not have my dog. And so she's like, all right. And dad's like, just let her. We can figure out a cell later, which we never did. 
<laughs> my parents had the heart to let me keep it, and that was definitely the best dog wow. ever. So what was it like after that many years to see your parents again? Um, They looked older, and I, I felt like I missed out on a lot, and it, it definitely felt better to be with them, and um, I wanted them to leave, because by then I wanted to leave, but at the same time I didn't want to lose them, because I knew that if I just left, then I would lose my whole family, which a few times I did just say, screw everybody, I'm running away to leave, and then they'd call the cops on me to come find me or whatever, and then they had my papers, so I couldn't really leave, because they had my cert. Uh, yeah, I was only uh, 16, yeah. almost 17, so. Wow. And that's something common that we hear quite a bit when people are underage, and then because they're not 18 yet, they're not able to leave those situations of their own free will because they can have the cops called on them and say, oh, they're a runaway and I'm their guardian, so you need to bring them back. And we've heard of other people be threatened in that same way and not really realizing any other options other than getting sent back to their guardian. So it's really tough to be able to leave that situation before you turn 18. Sam left the month he turned 18. But, yeah. but it's very tough yeah. to do it beforehand. I have a question. Yeah. yeah. So my question is, is why didn't the police figure out what was going on or look into it for how many times I ran away and they called the police to get me? Why didn't the police do something? If a kid is running away that much, why didn't they do something? Yeah. Why didn't they call Child Protective Services, right? This was by my parents, you know, trying to, at the time they didn't mean it uh, in a bad way. They were just trying to keep me around and a lot of uh, stuff that they were doing was very triggering to me from my aunt. So they weren't abusive, but I, in my head and my body, I thought they were. So, I mean, yeah, I don't really know a lot of what the police could have done, but I'm, I thought that law enforcement was supposed to be there for people. So that's why I'm just wondering why they didn't at least look into it. You know, yeah. of course I was okay, at, but not because I'd been so abused, but if maybe if they would have, then we could have got some help from all the child labor, everything, you know? Yeah. No, that's a good question. And it's tough. Do you feel like if the police had asked you more questions, would you have been open to telling them about the abuse? Yep. At, at that time, I would have. I was, I was ready to leave, and I would have done anything to get out of there. Even, you know, it would have been hard it was like you know of course I wouldn't have wanted to not see my family but I wanted them to come with but at the same time I didn't want to be apart anymore yeah and that's probably a good message for law enforcement because I think a lot of times we hear law enforcement say that oh well kids aren't open to talking about the abuse they'll just yeah. keep sweet they'll just put on that face you know and and act like it but it's important for law enforcement to be reminded that there are kids who are ready to speak out and that they need to be more diligent in trying to ask the children and protect them and not just assume what kids are going to say based on where they're from, where the clothes they wear, or what community they're from. Right. So to, for law enforcement, what would be a good way for them to br bring it up or ask about abuse? Because the last thing we, or I think what they're afraid of, or one of the things, is that they ask and then create a bigger separation and make it that much more difficult for these kids to speak out because these they're being law enforcement's being told that these kids all believe that they're evil and bad. So it's their at least that's what we keep hearing. So what would be a good way for them to ask those types of questions without causing more problems? That's kind of a hard question to answer. It would really depend on the situation because if if somebody's ready to speak out, you could say anything and they're going to tell whatever. But if there's like the abuse, the abuser with them, they are not going to say anything. That's a good point. Good point. You need to have that kid alone. Even if there's another sibling with them, it's better to have them alone and try and get something out of them than have them by their sibling. Because they, they may be afraid that if their sibling hears them speaking out, that their sibling's going to tell their mom, and then they're going to get hit more, they're going to get more abuse, so. 
Was it FLDS police officers or LD, or uh, Gentile police officers? At the time, I lived in Nebraska, so Nebraska police. Okay. Wow. It's heartbreaking to hear that the people who should have been able to be there to try to protect you didn't do that. Yeah. Or right. didn't go about a way to be able to... And, and that's what and that's what you were looking for and wanted and couldn't find any help. So, well, I'm glad and so grateful that you, in a very long roundabout way, were able to find your way out and find your way back to your parents. And you are back with your parents, correct, at this time? Yes. I actually, when I wanted to leave, I was the first one out of the family who did leave. Um, so we had moved down to Vernal, Utah, and I would start sneaking away and I gathered up clothes from different people around the area that were just gentile clothes is what they called them and I would I had a horse because I finally convinced my parents to let me have one and um, I would get on my horse put my clothes underneath and then put my dress over top and ride away from home and then take my dress off and tie it behind my saddle and then ride and, and so I was kind of trying to sneak and be rebellious because I didn't want my parents to just hate me like but at the same time I did I did want them to kick me out so I was kind of showing some like I wouldn't wear a wave and I would just do a loose French braid with the end hanging eventually the end was just hanging and then on my 18th birthday is when I left on the very day um, my dad actually helped me by letting me borrow his trailer he was trying to kind of not let mom know that he was supportive because he was afraid mom would leave him if he want because he did kind of want to leave and so my friend came and picked up the trailer and helped me move and when you say leave because a lot of viewers might be thinking well you got out of the abusive you're back with your parents your parents have been out of the community so you have already like left the community as like a whole do you want to describe the difference between being removed from the community and what you're talking about when you say the words leaving yeah what's that difference are you saying removed is in send away because um, yeah like you're physically not in short creek anymore you're not allowed to be like a part of the community right because you've been sent away but that's different than leaving right leaving is definitely feels a lot more free but then you can't have any contact with anybody that's still inside the church so by that time, uh, when I left, my parents didn't really talk to me. I still had their number, but uh, mom was still trying to decide if she wanted, if she believed in Warren. And before I had left, then she would try putting pictures on the wall, and us kids would go break them and tear them apart. And she, she was only allowed to have them in her room, and she would cry a lot because she wanted us to believe in Warren because she thought that was the only way. So we kind of just slowly lost contact with the church and they never really said okay now your whole family left but eventually it led to everybody leaving wow when was the moment that you personally realized that you didn't believe in Warren Jackson anymore that was about maybe five or six months after I had moved away from my parents then people were saying go watch stuff online but my whole life was like don't believe anything online you shouldn't even get on the internet you know and I had already been getting on the internet since I left, and uh, I got to watch some of the stuff, the truths about Warren, and that's that's what convinced me because there's a lot of lies told of how he was, but then the videos were proof of how he really was. Right. So earth shattering to realize that for so many years you were told one thing, and to come find out later on that it was all just lies or and I'm not saying that everyone that told you about Warren was lying maybe they believed it as well they didn't know but, the truth but Warren manipulated and lied to a lot of people what was the hardest transition when you were moving back with your parents sorry to go back one step but like what was the hardest transition of being back with your parents and your parents are still trying to earn their way back into the community what was that transition like like after they left before they had stopped believing, but like when you got handed, your sister brought you back to your parents, right? And you're reunited with them. But was that a hard transition as well? And you got back with the parents that you hadn't seen in two years? Um, 
No, that actually was very much of a relief because all the abuse and stress was gone. And I remember that night just looking into the sunset and actually being able to see the beauty in the sunset where before I never really got to see that because, like, even if I was to sit out there and be watching it, I would be so stressed out that I couldn't even see the, the earth around me, you know? Yeah, and that, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a complicated situation because you finally get to be reunited with your parents, which, like you just mentioned, was amazing. The abuse was gone. But at the same time, your parents hadn't left the church. They had just been kicked out. They had been sent away to repent. So they still wanted to, it sounds like, return and, and be in good graces with Warren Jeffs and be able to be a member of the church. But they were just trying to repent. So that would have been difficult because at that time it sounded like you were getting to the point where you just didn't want anything more to do with the church and you were done with it. But then to come back to your parents, even though they were loving and therefore even no abuse was happening, still was difficult because they did want to go back to the church. So I, I can imagine that must have been difficult for you. Yes, it was, but also the church was all I ever knew. So it comes to that same scenario, you know, that bear in the zoo. It's like if it finally got put in with other bears, you know, it's going to be so happy that it's put with other bears, it's not really going to think about the what it could have because it doesn't know what it could have. So I was starting to explore the outside world, and that's when I started. My mom got me a bike, and I would start sneaking away and riding the bike longer than she said or whatever and my parents weren't mean about it of course they'd be like hey you know we gotta make sure we're doing right so the prophet can get delivered and I remember thinking screw that he's not ever gonna get delivered you know just and then at the same time I was like feeling guilty because I gotta be faithful in order to be come back to the community and not be sent away but at the same time I had a feeling that I would never get to come back, you know. And yeah. also I thought, well, my parents' repentance has started over because we had contact with them. So mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be another two years or more before they ever got invited back, wow. which I'm glad now that they never did because <laughs> yeah. it would have been worse. So, And then you said you left completely when you were 18 and you moved out, right? What was, like, the biggest culture shocks for you? Fully leaving, leaving your parents, leaving all the rules, everything that you had grown up with your whole life, and being out on your own. What was that like? Well, it was a very slow transition, you know. First, I didn't dare wear tank tops or uh, short pants, and I was kind of afraid to have my hair hanging a lot, but then I kind of moved on to this rebellious stage, like anything the church said was bad, I made sure I did it because I didn't want to do anything that they said was right because thinking of it, it was all just miserable to keep sweet and all that. And I got to start exploring real life feelings. I got to start experiencing madness, you know, any kind of emotion a human could have, I got to start experiencing it, which I never got to uh express growing up yes they the feelings were still there but you know you're angry you're supposed to just block it out and keep sweet you know think about all that anger that's built up which you know has turned into a lot of anger issues sometimes when i get mad i'll have to hold myself back from lashing out because it's all a bunch of cooped up anger you know i'm so sorry that you've had <laughs> such a so much more than anyone should have to experience in this life and you've had to deal with at such a young age but thank goodness you're you're out of it now and, and i mean you're still still working through a lot of things and i can only pretend to imagine how difficult it is for you and all the things you're still working through but how are things today how are you and uh what does life look like for you now well um it's definitely 100 percent better when I first met you guys today, it felt like, a, you know, normal, what it should feel like. But a couple months ago, if I would have met a stranger, then I would have been, like, really tense. Couldn't hardly move my mouth, you know, just really scared of strangers. So I've been out for five years now. Yeah. 
and it's just been really slow starting to dare do more and more things and some days I'll just feel kind of a lot rebellious and just feel good about doing stuff that they didn't agree with so I'm I'm happy where I'm at now because now I can make my own choice I can feel however the fuck I want to feel <laughs> and what would you say to somebody who's still in those situations if you knew that they were going to listen what would you say to them if one of them was watching right now today watching this video what would you want to tell them Here's the thing is if I said anything against the the religion, they would most likely immediately clog their ears or turn away or, or walk away. So I would have to be very careful with my words. I would probably tell them to look at the situation harder and don't sit there and think so hard about what they're telling you to do and and think about what is really in front of you. And I would tell them, don't let fear drive you anymore. Because that's the only reason you're, um, I couldn't really say stuck where you are. So I guess I'd just have to end it at that. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to look at the bigger picture. It's so hard to, you know, try to actually take a step back and realize that what's going on isn't okay. But like you mentioned before, that if it's all you know, it's so difficult. But great advice to try to realize that being beat physically, emotionally, everything like that is just, it's not, it's not okay. And it's not normal. Well, thank you so much for being on here. I know when we had talked earlier, um, I just loved what you were saying about the fact that the reason that you wanted to do this was to bring awareness and let other people know what's happening to children because awareness is really the only way that, we can help it end, right? And help save the children that are same, in those same situations, help inform law enforcement so things like what happened with you and those situations don't happen to other children. That law enforcement can do their jobs better and so the people in other communities can be kinder to the people of the FLDS and realize that that does make a difference. So yes. we're just really grateful that you were willing to tell your story. Yes, thank you for being here, for being so open and vulnerable we really do appreciate that and just looking at you now you seem like you would have never guessed that you dealt with everything you dealt with you, i mean you know you just seem like a normal happy person so that's another reminder that you just never know someone's full story so thank you for sharing with us today and with all of our viewers yes and if anybody that is watching would like to learn more about what it was like for sam to grow up in polygamy or hear more amazing stories and testament of people being able to leave these communities that they are abused from and be able to share their stories with the world and empower them through that, then please like and subscribe. Talk to you soon. Thank you all. We'll talk to you soon.